Hi, Jasmine Lopez here. If you like what you're hearing, you can donate to us by going to radioproject.org and click on the big donate button. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes, which helps other listeners find us. Thanks, and here's the show. I'm George Lavender, and you're listening to Making Contact. It can happen in almost any sport. A knee, a punch, a kick to the head, and you're out. It's often said that a smart athlete will use their head, but what if using your head cost you everything? That's a question being asked in locker rooms around the world. From boxers to soccer players, sports professionals have been waking up to the danger of head injuries. In the United States, Lawsuits brought by players, as well as a body of scientific evidence, has led to growing awareness about the impact American football has on players' brains. And now a similar debate has kicked off across the Atlantic, amongst players and fans of the sport that American football evolved from, rugby. On this special edition of Making Contact, producer Luke Eldridge brings us to the UK to hear how rugby is dealing with the issue of head injuries. This is the sports stadium in Leicester, UK, where my local rugby team play. Standing on the terrace, 24,000 other people around me. I've been coming here for nearly 15 years. I remember my first game, getting the bus into the city with a friend from school, buying a junior ticket and then sneaking into the bar to get a pint of beer, standing in the front row in awe. It's a big sport here second only to soccer, a thug's sport, played by gentlemen, so the saying goes. The players have been heroes to me, players like Lewis Moody. My name is is Lewis Moody, a Leicester great that I cheered on from the terraces. He understands what the game is about too. You know, rugby is a physically demanding contact sport that requires the very best of your physical ability and for you to put yourself in positions that you wouldn't otherwise do in in normal life so bangs on the head are always going to be part and parcel of the game whether it be training or or the match few gave more physically than lewis he reached the very top i played professional rugby union for 17 years my club side was leicester tigers which we won seven premiership titles, two European Cups and one LV. I was very fortunate to play it with a number of guys. I also played 71 times for England. I got to captain England from 2010, 9, 10 to 2011. Lewis's position in the team was a flanker, the antagonist doing everything they can to disrupt the opposition. You had to tackle everything that you, you saw, so I had a very defensive role, um, which meant I threw myself into contact Head first. Foster are going to go high. Ooh, that's a contact. Moody in trouble there. In big trouble. I think the game needs to be stopped if the officials see it. After 300 professional games, Lewis struggles to recall how many concussions he might have suffered. Concussion is very vague description, so I've been knocked out cold on several occasions. I'd say probably 10. 
which I would describe as concussion. So where you, you know you're unable to move, you're in that sort of prone stance on the, on the floor, or on your back, or on your side. One of those occasions does stand out clearly in Lewis's mind. I remember it too because here was a Leicester lad representing England in the pinnacle of the sport against the tough tackling Tongan side. 2007, the Rugby World Cup. Yeah, sure. I mean, I was always relatively lucky, but I mean, that Tonga incident was probably the worst one for me because it was instantaneous. The game's just two minutes old. I'm watching on TV. So I was trying to charge down um, a kick by the opposition, and as I followed through, I got the I got his knee right in my temple, and you know, it caused me to black out instantly. So a, a concussion is a mild brain injury caused by trauma to the brain. Dr. Michael Gray, a motor neuroscience physiologist at the University of Birmingham. And so when we get a knock on the head, the, the, the cranium stops, but the brain keeps moving in whatever, whatever direction it was moving before. And so the brain will bounce back and forth within the brain, depending on, on, on how hard it's hit. And that bouncing back and forth causes the neurons to be stretched. What I can recall is one of my teammates, I could hear him calling my name, or a nickname, which was Mudos. But it was just in slow motion, and it was like, Mudos. And the brain gets into a, effectively an energy crisis. It's using up the energy to be able to deal with this problem. But I couldn't see him, I could just hear it. And then I was thinking, why, why can't I move? And I was trying to move my body. If you know nothing about rugby, then I can tell you this. Situations like this happen all the time. It's a physical game. American football, but no helmets, no body armor. If you're a pro, you've medics, physios, physicians right there alongside you, ready to help you when you're hurt. But what about the 150,000 odd amateurs in community teams, Sunday morning teams, school teams? For many of them, the game's a great education. Win with dignity, lose with grace, respect your opponent. But who helps them when they're hurt? Peter's a dad. He tells me how his son, Ben, got into rugby. Ben, or Benjamin as his mum related to him, uh, was just a fantastic kid. Just a real joker. Big broad smile that just met you as soon as he came into the room. It's like I said, normally he was the cheeky chappy. Ben had always been football mad growing up. Fanatical about Man United. But then he moved up to the grammar school. A rugby playing grammar school and so his dad says he begrudgingly swapped the round soccer ball for the oval rugby one a picture of ben sits behind peter as he talks he was a stubborn player initially but then he got into it and he he really got a taste for it and he started playing ability he was voted the most improved player his first year and you could see he was taken to it. peter's played and coached rugby for years He'd take Ben out, teach him the basics, 
dad played and his stepfather played. So he, he you know, we, we used to coach him and do different stuff. You know, he would joke, I was deceptively slow. There's a big grass uh, patch out the front there. We used to kick the ball. I, I, I sort of played out half and centre and things. And I would get him to run through onto the ball sort of thing. And uh, Like any schoolboy, he needed an idol. Someone to try and emulate. If you play rugby and live in Ireland, there's only one player to have as a poster on your wall. He who carries the weight of the country on his shoulders. The great centre. Brian O'Driscoll. He sort of was like a Brian O'Driscoll type figure in the centre there, you know, and uh, his favourite trick was sort of staring at the opposite player and just flicking the ball out, you know, as sort of Brian O'Driscoll used to do. And... Ben was on his way to becoming a key player for his school, Carrick Fergus, in January of 2011. The school was playing in the Medallion Shield tournament, which, when you're Ben's age, 14, is the biggest event you can play in. And the team that were playing, Dalriada, uh, had been beaten heavily by them, so they were, they were out for revenge. He was nervous. Peter tried to put him at ease. He, he was just, he had spoken to me on the phone the night before, you know, just talking about the nerves and things. I said, you know, you just go out and give it your best. That's all you can do, just play to the best of your ability. And uh, Ben wanted everything to be just right. You know, the night before, his mum talks about him, you know, sleeping in his... Uh, school kit as such, you know, his rugby kit, because he, he didn't want to miss anything or he didn't want to leave any kit at home. And he stood at the top of the stairs that morning, you know, uh, saying, Mum, do I look the part? And she says, yes, you do, come down and get your breakfast now, you know. But you could tell things were slightly different, just he was a wee bit more nervous. Peter wasn't at the match against Dalrada. He would often watch Ben, but he's remarried, lives in Edinburgh a short hop away over the Irish Sea. Instead, it was Ben's mum cheering him on from the sidelines. Karen had watched the match. She was there from the start, and she said just the physicality of the match seemed to be another level. Peter was able to see it for himself afterwards. Now, there was a video of the match, and you know I watched that. Ben's involved in a very heavy tackle just two minutes into the second half. Ben collides with the guy's shoulder, just about his, in his chest area, and you see his head come forward in a whiplash effect. But it's, it's after that you realise Ben's been basically knocked out because he, he goes to ground, doesn't put his hands out in front of him, and basically it's his head ploughs into the ground first, and you see it bounce, and you see his legs come up behind him. You put in a big tackle and hit your head, then you see stars. Your legs turn to jelly. Sounds innocuous. It's not. It's concussion. But for decades, concussion hasn't been understood. A cut to the head, a broken arm, a dodgy knee, these are understood. A concussion can conceal itself. Or... It can be concealed. It can be ignored. Players, they feel that because you can't see a concussive injury, you can't see a, a plaster on the arm, you can't see a, a cut, you know, wherever it is, that they feel they're being judged for being slightly weak or slightly soft. That's David Barnes. Yeah, David Barnes, rugby director of the Rugby Players Association in England. The Rugby Players Association. 
a trade union representing professional players? He says the answer should be very simple. You know, if someone's got a head injury, they need to be given the right amount of time to rest. And they might look 100% to most people, but if they're not right inside, they can't play. But that's not the culture of the game. Players and coaches want to win. Players have traditionally, uh, and they're the first to admit that they will try and play through concussions. They'll try and keep going. They want to keep their place in the team. That's, the, that's what makes these players play at the level they can. They want to give everything. Over the last few years, the National Football League in the US has learnt brutally harsh lessons that have begun to change the way sports all across the globe view concussion. Scientific evidence has been building that taking blows to the head every week, suffering multiple concussions, can lead to degenerative brain conditions, dementia, depression, Alzheimer's. And if you're young, if your brain is still developing, it can be even riskier. Suffering multiple concussions in a short time period, called second impact syndrome, can have the same effect as a car crash does to your brain. Concussion's always been there. Uh, we know it's been hugely underreported, but we're now seeing more reporting of it um, and starting to be aware that players uh, or, or medics take it a bit more seriously. One of the things the RPA does is work with the governing body in England to produce an annual injury audit, a record of every injury a player receives in matches and in training. The, all the doctors at the clubs record every day lost their injury uh, and they assign it to a certain injury. The audit from 2013 tells its own story. In the last 12 months we saw concussion, which has always been relatively stable, it's now become the number one time loss injury uh, from match days in the sport. Not your shoulders, your neck, your back, or your knees, your head. The number of concussions has gone up, but an invisible injury is difficult to manage. The effects can be minor, temporary, or they can be major, lifelong. It reminds Barnes of another health risk. It's almost like uh, a cigarette warning, I guess. If, if you compare it to, a, to something else where the links with cancer from smoking were unclear. Hundreds of people smoked only camels for 30 days. Each week, noted throat specialists examined the throats of these smokers and reported not one single case of throat irritation due to smoking camels. Yes, that's proof of mildness. But people started to, to think there was a link, and obviously now it's well publicised on cigarette packs and, and everything else. The scientific evidence, says Dr. Gray, is clear, but not yet conclusive. Concussion is rugby's cancer, damaging health, taking lives. You're listening to Making Contact, a production of the National Radio Project. Because of generous support from listeners like you, this show is distributed for free to radio stations in the US, Canada, Australia, and South Africa. To find out how to donate, download shows, or get our podcasts, go to radioproject.org. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact. 
we now return to our special documentary on the impact of head injuries in rugby. Two big cup games and two rugby players have been knocked out. Schoolboy Ben has been on the ground for around a minute and a half. Professional Lewis is writhing around, facing the turf. Both have shown some of the signs of concussion. Dizziness, postural disturbances, so inability to maintain balance. It can be slurred speech, headache, inability to communicate, problems with thought, word recall, balance issues. In spite of this, both will play on. But here is where the similarities end. Lewis will get up, play hard, get hit again. His head will spin, his brain will bounce, but he'll keep going. So I then sat up with a doctor there, and and then it was pretty much simply, "Are you okay?" And as a you know any sportsman out there, if you're asked if you're okay, it's like testing your very manhood, and you know your, your answer is instantaneous. Like, yeah, of course I'm okay. This right here is a pivotal moment for Lewis's brain. The problem is because the brain is put in this energy crisis. If we get that second impact while the brain is trying to to deal with the very first impact, the damage can be much more severe. By playing on, Lewis is now playing Russian roulette with his brain. The first hit places the round in the revolver. Spin the cylinder. Place the muzzle against your head. And he looked at me, he was like, are you all right? Like the millions of others watching at home, I cheer. Yeah, of course we're ready to carry on. Pull the trigger. Hope for the best. Lewis plays on. And later on in the game, he receives another punishing blow to the head. Luckily, Lewis walks away. England win. He plays one of his best games. He's a hero. Even after that game, I said to the coaches, look, if you need me to come off the pitch, I won't ever want to come off. So if I'm physically not doing my job as well as you'd like, you have to take me off, because I won't come off. From the heights of the World Cup, to the school fields of Carrickfergus, where 14-year-old Ben Robinson plays, his mum watching on from the sidelines. Ben's just a kid. No medical teams here. Grown-ups normally look out for him. The coach comes on, and other people come on, but it's about a minute and a half he's on the ground. And you see the coach attend to him and uh, help him assist him to his feet and then he's allowed to play on. But he doesn't really get any respite after that. He's involved in another heavy tackle after that, and he goes to ground again. And it's the other kids, his teammates, who notice something's wrong, not the grown-ups. And you see the other player looking at him, and you can see his demeanour's changed. He's holding his right hand his right temple. And he's sort of, I describe it like walking like an old man, where he's hunched, and his head's forward, and he's holding his head. 
he'd said to his mum, I feel funny, I, I can't remember anything. And he ran over and continued to play. On the sidelines, Ben's mum also feels something isn't right. At one stage she was told to, you know, calm down mum. So Ben goes back into the game. One last time. And that's when he then was involved again, the target and he collapsed. And the video ends with Ben on his back and that's it, he doesn't regain consciousness after that. His dad, Peter, is 150 miles away and knows nothing of what has happened until his phone rings. The next news I got was, it was probably about midday on the Saturday and I got a phone call to say Ben had been knocked out and taken to hospital. And it's, it's like I say, uh, having played rugby, I didn't think much. But then I got another phone call to say, you know, no, you know, you need to get over here. And I could tell by everybody's tone that things weren't good. Peter rushes to the airport to be at his son's side. I think waiting for the flight to go from Edinburgh to Belfast was the longest, longest day of my life. And I suppose when we arrived up at the hospital, we were met by the consultants. Uh, I could just tell by their demeanour that, you know, things weren't good. And they, they told us, you know, Ben's injury, they expect that from a car accident. And traumatic brain injury, and he had very slim chance of survival. And if he did, it would be a vegetative state. You know, we played music, we'd done everything, brought all things from home and, you know, his friends came up and, and visited him, but uh, the medical staff up there could tell by, you know, his sort of, by the monitor and the readings that, you know, he wasn't going to come out of this. And in fact, you know, they were saying he was likely he was brain dead. But uh, yeah, the 31st, so two days later, he was declared dead. Peter and the family were told it was just an unfortunate knee to the head that killed Ben. A freak accident. A year later, Lewis retired from rugby. A shoulder injury forced him to quit. But he'd had so many more bangs to the head, he'd noticed something strange happening. Every game I was noticing, even the sort of lightest of knock on the head was, was creating this sort of fuzzy, blurry sensation that you spent, you know, 30 seconds trying to shake off. I think my wife was, was becoming more and more aware that that was affecting me in the games and she worried about how I'd be able to look after and play with the kids. He's out of the game. No more impacts. But even now, he still doesn't know. Has he already done the damage? Sealed his fate for later in life? Has what I've just done impacted on, on my, uh, the function of my brain to this point? And would you want to know that you're going to potentially be at greater risk of suffering? I ask him, if he'd really understood the risks back then, would he have played the game differently? No, I wouldn't have played the game differently. Would I have reacted differently if I'd sustained a concussion? Probably not, because... I wanted to be out there on the pitch doing my job and doing it with your mates. So it's that sort of it's that bond that you have with your teammates that you feel like you need to be. If you're not on the pitch, you feel like you're letting them down. Lewis isn't an exception in professional rugby. He's the norm. 
He's had a great career, won the highest honours, and now enjoys a comfortable lifestyle. I just loved, I loved what I did too much. It's easy to say now when I'm sat here in good health and, uh, you know, my sport has been incredibly kind to me. If rugby had been kind to Lewis, it had been cruel to Ben. One unfortunate knock, or so the family had been told. But Peter started hearing differently. We were hearing it from the kids what happened. And then we were hearing from the coach and the referee what happened, and the two didn't tie in at times. Peter knew where he could find the truth. The first time I watched the video, I, I must have got up about two in the morning and I came down and I put it on the computer. You know, and I see Ben running about, and in a way, it was lovely to see him taking part. And, but you knew this was his last moments as well. And I probably made myself ill watching it that much to be honest with you I didn't want to do it in front of the kids this is the video that shows how his son died and Peter if he wanted to get to the bottom of what happened had to become an expert in it he watched it over and over hundreds hundreds of times I can close my eyes and I see the video every moment the video showed everything a schoolboy took three punishing blows to the head and was left in the game. Why? I think the coach got caught up in the, the game that day, didn't want to lose it, and he didn't want to take off his best player, and really that's as simple as that. When the inquest was complete, it told that Ben was the first known person in the UK to have died from second impact syndrome. Ben's brain was in an energy crisis, dealing with the first impact, so the consequences of the blows to the head that followed were more severe. Fatal. A brain injury can be a real leveller. Because of two games, one at the very top and one at the grassroots, Lewis and Peter have been brought together on the same issue. They both now campaign for greater awareness of the risks of concussion in rugby more education for kids, tied to protocols. I strongly back playing rugby, I strongly back playing sport. There's risks and everything, but you need to make people aware of them. And then it's up to the parents whether they decide to let their children play or not. You know, it is a family that we've, we've played with and played for during your days, and to look after its, its own is look after each other. And that's what this campaign is about, is creating enough knowledge and understanding for the future. Rugby authorities, governments, are at least listening. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Chris Bryant. All the scientific evidence now agrees that concussion can be fatal. I don't want to debate on this because I think the danger is too serious. Lewis and Peter get invited to go to Parliament together to look at the issue of concussion in sport. Later that day, I catch up with Peter again. You know, a year ago, if you'd have said I've been sitting in Parliament having a crossbench, uh, you know, debate. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't have seen it. We're, we're going forward. We need to all have the same message. All sporting bodies, if in doubt, set them out, especially when it comes to children. In April 2014, after a high-profile media campaign, the IRB, the governing body for World Rugby, took that message on board. 
mandatory training was introduced, educational materials distributed, guidelines on managing concussion amended. For the first time, they stated, concussion can be fatal. Peter's been stuck on loop, telling people this, telling Ben's story since 2011. He hopes some good will come from it. Whether it does or not, the game's changed for him. It's different. When I go and watch schools rugby, I'm looking out for Ben. You know, you're looking out for that face in the crowd, and I don't think I'll ever be able to enjoy it the way I used to. And that's it for this edition of Making Contact. You've been listening to a special radio documentary produced by Luke Eldridge. To find out more about concussions and sports, visit our website, radioproject.org. That's also where you can download past shows and make a difference by supporting our work. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact. I'm George Lavender. Thanks for listening to Making Contact. Making Contact.